Good morning. My name is Frank, and I am blessed to be one of the, the elders here at uh, City Church, Melissa. Um, this morning, we are back in our series on Ephesians. Uh, if you weren't with us in, early in the fall, we started a series on Ephesians, and we got through three chapters or so uh, of it, and I encourage you to go back. Uh, you, can, you can catch those messages on the website or on our podcast, uh, and there, there's some amazing stuff in there. Uh, a few years ago, my, my dad took my sister and I and our spouses on kind of one of those once-in-a-lifetime trips, and we got to go through uh, Ephesus. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, we got to walk the streets where, where Paul was on the, the kind of the southwest coast of, uh, of Turkey. And uh, Turkey's an amazing country. Um, it, uh, they have the best coffee, hands down, that I've ever had in my life. And if you know my great, deep, abiding love for coffee, you know what a big deal that is. Uh, they, they had incredible food. Uh, the people were super, super nice, uh, unless you're Greek. They don't like Greek people. Uh, I think they, uh, they, they've, they've still got a grudge from, I think, every conflict uh, dating back to the Trojan War. So uh, if you are Greek and you go to Turkey, don't tell them. But Ephesus was a really cool place. In, uh, in Roman times, it was, it was a rich port city, and the, the, the bay, the, the, the beach has moved in the past 2,000 years a, f- a few miles down, and so the city kind of died, uh, and it's just Roman ruins right now. Uh, but um, it was really cool to walk, walk the streets. Uh, the, the tour that we were on started off in uh, kind of a residential area up in the, it's built in, in hills, uh, and we were up in the hills, and so I guess these, this would have been like the fancy area of town. And we start walking down, and they've got the ruins of covered sidewalks and, and colonnades leading down. Uh, and then you get a little further, and there's the there's the market off to the left, where the you know all of the kind of the commerce would have taken place. Um, and then you would you would keep on going a little bit further, and they had the Library of Celsus. Uh, and if you do a, like a Google search on uh, like an image search on uh, on Ephesus, the uh, the facade of the Library of Celsus will be probably number one on those results. So you'll see that 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 kind of famous thing. Uh, from there, you the, the road kind of took a, a right-hand turn, and there was a big platform uh, where the the temple of, of um, uh, the, the the temple of Artemis uh, was there, and this was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It dominated the city. It it it, it characterized it, the entire culture and heartbeat of the city, uh, which meant that it is a truly pagan um, city, and nothing. Nothing is left of that that temple, um, but uh, it would have been it would have been kind of dominated the skyline when uh, when Paul was there. Uh, you continue on a little bit further down to where the ancient harbor was, and there's a giant amphitheater built into the side the side of a hill that held 25,000 um, people. Uh, Acts 19 uh, show describes the. Um, the uh, the scene when uh, when Paul went there and he spent a couple years in in Ephesus and uh, as Paul's kind of tended to do he caused all kinds of problems uh, the silversmith guild there uh, built these little statues of Artemis that they sold uh, to all of the pilgrims coming in for this giant this giant temple of um, of Artemis and. You know, most people are, are pretty tolerant of about anything. They can, they can deal, put up with about any, any kind of disagreement or anything until you hit their wallet. And that is what happened here. The, uh, the, because Paul was having some success with his ministry, their sales started to dip, and they got mad. Uh, they started a riot, and the whole mob rushed down 
uh, to that, that, that amphitheater, filled it full of capacity, and they stood there, the whole town, yelling, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two or three hours until the city clerk finally was able to calm them down and send them all home. Um, but the church thrived there, uh, first under Paul and Apollos, then Timothy, and finally the Apostle John, who may have written his gospel there. Uh, there was no better taught church, maybe, in the Roman world. First, uh, they were taught by Paul and Apollos, uh, then from Timothy, uh, and then finally uh, the Apostle John. Uh, yet at the end, John wrote to them uh, in, in Revelation 2 that they had lost their first love. Um, the, the riches, the shiny things that their city brought them uh, had distracted them from what really mattered, and um, their love had, had cooled. Uh, is, that, is that true of you today? Have the shiny things of uh, this, uh, this roaring economy we've got going right now, have those distracted you from your first love? Have they caused your love for Christ, who saved many of you, to cool? As with most rich cities, there was, um, there was a dark side to Ephesus. One of those uh, really awful uh, sides to it was they had a practice called um, infant exposure. And basically what that meant was if you had a baby that you didn't want, there was a designated place up in the hills uh, around Ephesus that you could take your, your baby to. And you would... Uh, abandon them there. You would expose your baby to the elements and to wild animals and whatever else would come. That was how you disposed of your unwanted baby. Um, but there were this, uh, there were people who would go to these places and they would they would adopt these these babies, these exposed infants, literally rewriting the script for each of these these rescued babies' lives. Um, this, that is the story of all of us who call, uh, call ourselves by Christ's name. We are like those exposed, abandoned babies. We were without hope. We were left for dead. But God didn't let our story end there. This morning, we're going to see how God not only rescued us, he picked us up, washed us off, um, and made us part of his family. We're going to also see that he has given us amazing gifts so that we can be active participants in this new family that he is creating. So um, we, we went through Ephesians a few months ago, so I'm going to do a quick recap because it's important to how we get to where we're, where we're going today. Um, so I think the, the verses will be back on the, the screen here. And uh, we're going we're gonna to move pretty quickly. Uh, in, in Ephesians 1, 3 through 12, God, uh, Paul describes how God found us, how he found us abandoned and exposed uh, and he adopted us. But not only did he adopt us, he made us heirs. He gave us an inheritance. He gave us a future and a hope. He goes further in chapter 2 at the beginning of that. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead. Think for a minute on the finality 
of that, that word. Lazarus was in the tomb for three days. We had no hope. We were gone. But then a couple verses later, Paul writes in verse 4, two of the most amazing words maybe in all of Scripture, but God. But God was not willing to leave us there. He was not willing to let us stay dead. He was not willing to let that be the end of our story. Just as he spoke the universe into existence and just as he spoke words that called Lazarus back to life, he calls us and the power that he has, the power of his message is enough to raise us to life. There are no boring testimonies. I know many of you, like me, may, may think that your, your story is boring. Um, I, I grew up in a, a Christian home, uh, maybe like many of you. There, there wasn't a rebellious phase. There wasn't a, uh, I was generally speaking, a pretty good kid. Um, there wasn't any big exciting, I, I wasn't a Satan-worshipping drug dealer. There wasn't any of that. Uh, I, but I still experienced, like you, the, the, the fallenness that's all around us. Um, came home from a, a trip one time, and my parents got into a big fight, and my dad moved out. Um, and like many, this is probably, you know, there's a few of you that probably have a similar story. Uh, the next week, I tried very hard to make sense of this new reality. Um, and uh, went off to an FCA basketball camp in Atlanta. And God found me there. Um, he, he had been pursuing me for a long time looking back, but he found me there and he adopted me and he gave me new life. I didn't need more information. I had that. I needed a miracle. And God showed up. God does not only make us alive and reconcile us vertically to him, he, he, he reconciles us horizontally to each other. If you look at uh, Ephesians 2, um, 11 through, through 22, um, Paul talks about how he is building one new man out of all the kind of the abandoned, exposed, discarded um, pieces. If you look at verse 22, 2.22, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That third word, you, that's, that's second person plural. The, the, the Greek word is humes, and it means literally y'all. Y'all are being built together into a dwelling place for God. All of us in this room are being built together into a dwelling place for God. This is not about me individually. This is about us. We are being built into a new family uh, of God. But as Paul points out in Romans 9.16, this family isn't based on uh, birth, but on God's mercy, on his, on his grace. Now, we have been adopted into his family, and we uh, affirm this new family identity uh, with a very specific faith uh, that manifests itself in supernatural unity. As Ryan preached for us a couple months back from four, the first uh, seven verses of chapter four, uh, sorry, first six verses, 
I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did you catch how many times he mentions one? I counted seven. Seven times in two sentences-ish. The best example of this supernatural unity that God is calling us to is, of course, himself, the triune God, the Trinity. God himself is unity and the call to salvation. Um is nothing less than an invitation to share in the perfect community, the perfect unity that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have been sharing for all of eternity. We get to be be part of that. That's what he's inviting us to. The members of the Trinity are also so accurately described as one um, because it's difficult to tell where one ends and the other begins. Is that true of us? Do we, are we willing to enter into not just each other's um, celebrations and happiness and the good times, but are we willing to step into each other's messes when life goes wrong? Are we willing to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, uh, to get uncomfortable with someone else, to let our guard down? Um, I got a chance to experience this uh, a few months ago when my wife Kristen lost her, her mom. Um, and many of, you, uh, many of you wept with us. And I'm so grateful. Um, this is what a family is supposed to do. But the Trinity is also a perfect example uh, of this kind of unity that's in um, in chapter four, uh, because there's also diversity within God. If you look, uh, the, the the Father's role is different from the Son's, and the Son's role is different from the Spirit's. The Spirit um, points us to Christ. The Son glorifies the Father. There's a Greek word for what we're talking about here. Um, it's called perichoresis, and we get the, the idea of choreography from that same, uh, same root word. Uh, and you've seen, obviously, some of you watch Dancing with the Stars, um, and you've seen the, uh, some of these guys, they do an awesome job that when, it, when, a, when a team nails it, uh, it's, it's, their routine just looks awesome because you have two of them doing mostly different things, um, but it's difficult to say where one of them stops and the other starts, and what they come up with is great. Uh, another, uh, another example of this, my, my daughter Allison started a uh, band, mid-school band, this, uh, uh, this semester, and God bless mid-school band teachers. Um, <laughs> she, she is, she's remarkably good for a beginner, I think. She practices so hard, but I got to tell you, after six weeks of listening to just the clarinet part of the Christmas concert, con- uh, concert I, I, was, I, was, I was done. <laughs> um, <laughs> But when we went in and sat down and listened to the whole thing, it sounded amazing. Uh, I, was so, I, was, I was super imp- impressed. Um, a symphony is beautiful because 
because of uh, you have all these different instruments playing different parts, and you don't even really necessarily can, you know, pick out what the individual parts are because the whole is so much greater than the sum of the parts. A flower is, is beautiful, um, the perfect rose, um, but have you ever been to the Arboretum in spring? The unfathomable beauty of God's family is the diverse role that each of us plays in it. And that brings us to uh, our passage for this morning that Mike read so, so well for us this morning. Thank you. Um, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Right off the bat, Paul points out that grace uh, is what characterizes, that is the cause of everything that will follow. Um, grace was given, and that, that, is, that is the root for everything we're going to discuss today. Uh, the quote that, that Paul references is from Psalm 68. Uh, and in, it was common in the ancient world for a, a conquering general, when he, when he would come back, he would bring captives with him. He would bring you know, some of the spoil, some of the, 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 the stuff that he had captured as proof. And they would bring him to the top hill. Uh, in, in this case, this is talking about David. He's remembering back when he conquered Jerusalem from the Jebusites who had lived there before. Uh, and he had gone up on the hill, and he had brought... Uh, captives and spoil and treasure and all of that, and he had shared it with his family and friends and the generals that helped him. Paul here uses that also to point us to Jesus, God the Son, uh, who created the universe with a word, who with a word calms storms and raises the dead. He condescended to come down and be like us. He took on humanity. He got hungry. He got tired. He got cold. He suffered. And eventually he died on a rough cross. But he arose from the dead. And in doing so, he conquered death. There is, and he led, cap, led a host of captives, as Paul points out here, uh, to show to us, to the universe, that there is no enemy he has left unconquered, not even death. As the psalmist proclaims later, where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? It is because Christ has conquered, because he has ascended as the hero, that he has received these gifts, and in grace he freely gives these gifts to those of us who are adopted into his family. So what are these gifts? Paul goes on in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Jesus came not just to defeat and tear down the old order, uh, like we saw in, in chapter 2. and uh, He came to establish his church. And he sent his spirit to equip the body and as part of that equipping, he sent apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds to supernaturally equip the body for his service, to grow us up. In our men's Bible study, we just, uh, we're, we're going through Acts, 
And uh, this past week we covered chapter 8. And in, um, in that chapter, the, the, uh, the Samaritans believe. And so immediately Peter and John go to them to help grow these brand new believers up. In the same way Paul points out here that um, Jesus has sent the pastors and teachers, the shepherds uh, of City Church Melissa, God sent them here. He brought us to this place. It's no accident that um, Ryan felt the need to plant a church in Melissa. It's no accident that Matt is here worshiping and leading us into the throne room of God on stage. This was God's plan. He sent them to equip us, this body. But as any of you that are parents know, this is much more than just information transfer. Um, He didn't send Ryan to merely preach, just as me as a dad, my job is much more than to impart information to my kids. They need much more from me than just, yeah, here's some information. They have Google for that. They need a dad. Um, That is, it it, it is a similar burden that that the the pastors and shepherds of this church uh, share, and I get to be a, a part of that, and let me um, let me tell you, in, it, we lose sleep over you guys. Just like I lose sleep over my kids. Whether, um, whether my daughter Allison is, uh, am I equipping her so that when she eventually leaves home, she knows how to handle the world. She knows what to do with it. Is she able to become all that God intended her to be? In the same way, um, we lose sleep over whether we are whether, whether you guys feel connected, whether you understand the unfathomable love God has for you, what, do you see the beauty of Jesus? Do you see that he is greater than everything else around us? All the distractions, the things that demand our attention that aren't, that aren't him. This is, what, this is what keeps us up at night. In our meetings, we pray for you. At home, we pray for you. The lift of, of, of gifts uh, here in in verse four, in chapter four. This isn't exhaustive. Um, it's these are examples of equipping gifts. Some of the equipping gifts that he has given uh, the, the pastors and shepherds of, of this church. Um, but it goes more. Um, you we, we see the, the the absolute riches that God has has given City Church Melissa in the, in the um, teaching gifts of Ryan and Kyle and and, and Kent. Uh, less maybe well known are uh, the discipling, the, the, the teaching and equipping gifts of the Stones, of Jessica and Shelley in the back, of Laura Bexley, uh, of Ryan Rose. Um, if you don't know them, they are probably serving in the back right now, uh, shepherding and equipping uh, your kids. Uh, and there's many other examples of, uh, of people in our body who are, are serving and using their gifts um, for that, um, but I want to be clear that it is it would be wrong for us to understand that well i'm I'm not a pastor or a shepherd, so my role is to um, sit passively in a seat and and receive now please please do receive the word of God, please hear uh, us, us teach it, but that is not all. If God has saved you, he has given you supernatural power, he has given you spiritual gifts. And he did that for the building up of this body. 
Um, let me um, let me put it a little more bluntly. Um, if you are a believer and you are not serving in some capacity, um, you are depriving the church of gifts that God gave to you for this church. That is the point of these gifts. As Paul continues in 11 through 16, um, we'll read a little bit again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This body needs your gifts. If you have been saved, you have spiritual gifts. They may not always be obvious to you, though. Uh, You may look and say, I don't feel particularly gifted. Uh, And that may be because, uh, in my experience, very often these spiritual gifts that God has given us um, look a whole lot like scars. They look like wounds. And the way that that plays out uh, is some of the best parenting or marriage advice I've ever gotten uh, came from guys who who rolled up their sleeves and showed me their scars and said, yeah, don't do that. What do you have to offer the body? Look, what pain can you share? Isn't that a weird thing to think about, pain as an asset? Martin Luther uh, pointed out, this is um, one of the, uh, he said this in many places, one of the the unique things that he points out about Christianity is that we look at, we look at nature, we look at a sunset, we look at flowers, and we say, that's beautiful. We respond to uh, the beauty and we love it because of that. For God, it's the opposite. As we, as we sang this morning, uh, as, as, Uh, Matt pointed out, God's love makes the beloved beautiful. He's not responding, he's causing. So when he looks at the scars, some of them self-inflicted, he makes those beautiful. He makes those into assets when he saves you. I don't know that I can put it more clearly than God God makes your scars beautiful. He makes them an asset. He makes you even more valuable to this body because of your scars. But Paul also points out that this only works, this family only functions right if we are all committed to personal growth. If we are not, each of us working to spiritually grow, the family doesn't function right. That only comes about by knowing God's word. Do you want to know Christ? He's right here. 
He's speaking to you in its pages. He's showing you his love. He's, this is the instructions for how to find that abundant life that he promises, the, the fulfillment of everything that he's given, the promises. Read your Bible. Saturate your life in it. And then read it again because our minds are like leaky sieves and we will forget everything that we have read and we will be led astray by meaningless little things that, are, that make us feel good. We don't need anesthesia, we need truth. This family can't function properly if each of us are not committed to personal growth, and that starts with God's Word. As I wrap up, here's a few kind of summary points um, to go back through what we've, what we've covered in Ephesians through to today. Uh, first, God did not make us alive uh, and give us a new home and a new future uh, because he thought, wow, that's an awesome guy. No, we were like those exposed babies. We were uh, abandoned, forgotten, left for dead on the side of uh, a hill somewhere, and God has chased us down, and he has adopted us, and he has given us a hope and a future and an inheritance and made us part of his family. He has rewritten the script. So as a result of that, those scars from your past, whether they are from family members, friends, uh, people who said they cared about you, uh, or whether they're self-inflicted, um, God makes those beautiful. He makes them into assets. There's no other better example of that than the cross. If you think of the rough wooden cross, uh, one of the most awful uh, torture uh, and execution devices ever dreamed up by men, um, it was meant to prolong agony. And Jesus died on it and transformed it into a symbol for hope a symbol for life. You see people with it on their walls and around their necks because that is our hope, is that he died and he rose from the dead and he conquered death for us. That's where our hope is. If he can redeem a, a rough wooden cross, a, an, you know, a, a, a torture device, he can do amazing things with each of you. Finally, uh, third point, we, uh, this new body God is creating um, from the cast-off, uh, abandoned parts um, that the world has, has damaged and thrown out. We, this people, as in, in chapter 2, uh, who were once far off, who were without hope, who were excluded from the promises of God, he is... He is redeeming us. He is building a new creation project through us, and he needs the gifts that he has given you. This body needs your gifts. He is using train wrecks like you and me. He is giving us gifts to transform not only the city of Melissa, but to proclaim his victory to the entire universe. In a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this in prayer. Uh, and then we're going to celebrate a, a family meal, uh, commonly known as the Lord's Table or sometimes just, just communion. Uh, for those of us who have been adopted into Christ's family, uh, please, 
please use this time to remember back over what God has done for you. Look back over your lives and see all of the things he did to chase you down, to redeem you, to adopt you, to rewrite the script of your lives. And then um, when you feel, uh, feel ready, uh, head to one of the, the tables here. Um, if you need gluten-free, it's in the small uh, bowl up here. Um, and then head back to your, your seat and we'll, we'll partake of the elements uh, as a family. Uh, but I know that there are some of you uh, in here who cannot remember a time when you, by faith, uh, changed out your, your earthly family for God's family. You can't remember a time when you um, put your faith in Christ and were adopted into his family. If that's you, then the Bible instructs you to um, refrain from taking these elements. Uh, and I plead with you, use this time. Is God calling you today to become a child of the King? Is today the day that you will be adopted into his family? Our elders will be spaced out around the room at the, at the tables. Um, they would, we would love nothing more than to talk with you about how to become a son or daughter of the king, how to be adopted into Christ's family, how to have access to all of the inheritance, the love that Jesus offers to his children. You may be damaged by this world um, and maybe by yourselves, um, but if Lazarus was dead and in the tomb for three days to the point where they were worried about the stench when Jesus said, open this up, there's nobody in this room that is too far gone to be saved. I plead with you, if you are not for certain an adopted child of God, please talk to us. Just follow the crowd up to the table and talk to one of us as the elders up here. Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, oh, thank you. How this, this sinful and fallen and broken world has abandoned us and thrown us out. They have hurt us and we have the scars to, to show for it, but you sought us out. You have pursued us from before we were even born. You give us life and you adopt us into your future. You give us an inheritance and a life and a purpose, God. You give us gifts so that we can be useful to your family. Remind us of this every day, but especially now, Lord. Remind us of all of the things that you have done to bring us to this point. Remind us of the cost it took to get us, God. Remind us that there are no boring stories of your salvation, Lord. I pray also for those of you us not, um, not saved in this room, Lord. Speak to them now. Open their hearts and their, their minds. Open their ears so that they can hear your voice unmistakably, Lord. Let today be the day that they look back on for the rest of eternity and say, that was the day he adopted me. That was the day I became a child of God. In your name I pray, amen.
Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.